Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Sports King Show, live on Sports 106.1. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 1061. And good morning, everyone. Friday, we're here. We made it. We did it. One step closer to where we want to be. And we're hearing all kinds of things, which is exciting for every sports fan out there. I received calls this morning, texts this morning. Do you know when it's going to start? Do you know when this is going to start, folks? We are learning as you're learning, and we're hoping upon hope that's going to happen sooner rather than later. The NHL, of course, two divisions of 12. We're hearing about that. Major League Baseball still at an impasse over the money. Uh, that's another story. And we've got the NFL trying to move forward. College football, many people are saying going to move forward. So there's a lot to digest as we try to make heads or tails of it as we move closer to something we hope uh, resembles normalcy in the sports world. I want to turn our attention to Cole Thompson, of course, our NFL insider, as well as our guy that covers the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, he can be found at uh, Pro Football Talk and follow him at Mr. Cole Thompson. I do want to let you know with Cole, uh, he has his plate full in terms of covering all the sports, uh, college and uh, the NFL, and does an amazing job. And just want to get some of his perspectives as we welcome Cole from his home in Texas this morning. Good morning, Cole. Welcome back to Sports King. Hope you and your family are doing well. Hey, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. I want to start off on the college football side. A friend of mine, Jimbo Fisher, I knew Jimbo in high school back in the day, uh, Liberty High School in West Virginia. I lived there for a year and actually got to see him play in high school. That's how old I am, by the way. But Jimbo was a great, talented player. Um, got the most out of his abilities, both in basketball and in football. And he's going on to great things, of course, down in Tallahassee, Florida State, the Seminoles, great things there. On to Texas A&M. You've had the opportunity to spend time with Coach, follow the team, what can we look for, first of all, if the season goes on as we hope it does in 2020, the Texas A&M Aggies, of course, uh, Fisher is trying to impose his will, get everything going there offensively. The pieces are coming together. This team is talented. I know they lost some pieces here in the draft. What's your outlook for Texas A&M if everything goes off as planned for this season? 
I mean, if you look in years past, I think that you could arguably say that a seven and five year last year, while unproductive, was predictable because of the strength of the schedule. You know, you're playing against three number one teams in a single season with Alabama, Clemson, and eventually LSU. Plus, you throw into the mix a Georgia team that's ranked in the top five consistently at uh, for a majority of the year. Seven and five is not that bad. All five losses came to twenty-five, uh, top twenty-five teams. This is a different year uh, for me personally for Jimbo Fisher. You look at him. You look at the schedule. Games against Abilene Christian, North Texas, Fresno State. You take out Clemson. You put in Colorado. You take out Georgia. You put in Vanderbilt. And you've only improved in the SEC West, where there's also been three new head coaching hires. If this is not a 10-win team, this is a losing year for Jimbo Fisher. And a lot of people could be sitting here going, well, how is it a losing year if he has a winning record? When you have as many pieces as you do returning on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball, when you have now a majority of the players who are on the roster recruited by you, when you have all these things coming together, and, of course, the progression of a veteran offense, very much so like Ed Orgeron had last year with LSU, very much so had uh, Dan Mullen had in his second year at Florida, you're expecting to be a New Year's Six contending college football playoff contending team. And if that's not the case, with an easier schedule, a veteran presence, and also, just to top it all off, just Jimbo Fisher making $7.5 million a year to lead you that far and be a 10-win team. There are some serious concerns on Fisher's ability to coach and if he is the man for the job in Collins Station, I think after this year. Anything less than 10-2 and two is a major, major, major letdown for 12th man fans. But more importantly, for Fisher and his, uh, I would say, his pedigree as an elite football coach in the NCAA. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, eight and five overall, twenty nineteen, four and four in the SEC. Third year, seventeen and nine. And when you look at this team, they have some great pieces. We're talking about Texas A and M, of course. Kellen Munn. Let me let me start with him. He spent some time with him as a quarterback, a guy that is a, a star on the rise, a veteran quarterback. Threw for almost twenty nine hundred yards, twenty touchdowns. Can move around. He had nine interceptions. Ran for five hundred yards, eight scores. A guy that has very, uh, from a talent standpoint, you look at him sometimes. You're like, wow, this guy jumps off the screen. Other times, not so much. He didn't get a whole lot of time. And once again, the offensive line, they're definitely shoring that up. And your thoughts on Kellen Munn's uh, experience level, his graduation in terms of getting better year over year, and uh, the possibility for him being a great pro. What are your thoughts in terms of your evaluation of Kellen Mund at quarterback? For right now, I don't see him as a great quarterback in the NFL. I, I don't. I, I see a guy who is competent, who is one of the names to watch for because of the success of dual threat quarterbacks such as Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. But he doesn't have that great of an arm when it comes to arm strength. The accuracy has improved, but I don't think that that arm strength is going to be able to be his bread and butter at the next level. He evades pressure, but partially that's due to a weak offensive line. Keep in mind, the team last year allowed 33 total sacks. I think it was 57 total pressures on Mon. And the biggest thing that I noticed about him last year is he's a completely different quarterback away from Kyle Field. Listen, when you have the home team by your side, you get that confidence all that allows you to play a little bit better, in my opinion. When you're on the road and you're playing against big-time teams with big-time fan bases, it's not always going to go your way. And when you look at Kellen Mond's road stats, 
they were horrendous last year. Outside of maybe a decent game due to poor weather in Athens, his road record was atrocious. Those are all things I'm going to be looking at looking into the 2020 season. And if he's able to slowly figure out how to play on the road, how to better his arm strength, how to connect with brand-new targets, keep in mind, Jamon Osmond is the only receiver returning this year at the actual wide receiver position. If he can do all that, I see him being possibly the number one quarterback in the SEC. But do I think that he's going to transition more to the pros, such as a guy like Trevor Lawrence, a guy like Justin Fields, a guy like I would say even KJ Costello out of Mississippi State going into air raid offense, something that Patrick Mahomes ran down in Texas Tech. I'm not sure I can say right now he is going to be not a elite quarterback prospect when we're talking in April of next year. When you look at uh, Kellen Mond, of course, you got Jamon Osmond. He's coming back, 66 passes, 872 yards, five scores, very productive. Big tight end in Jalen Windermeyer, uh, 6'5", 260. So he's a good-looking prospect. And uh, you've got some other guys, of course, Courtney Davis and Kendrick Rogers left. But do you feel they have enough pieces there offensively with Mund if you can shore up that offensive line to put up enough points for Texas A&M? As you said, the problems weren't so much at Kyle Field where they did well. When they went on the road, it seemed like, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, they had no opportunity. It seemed like they were just discombobulated, and it starts at the quarterback position. Very well put by you. But do you feel offensively this team uh, can hide some of its blemishes by putting up some big points with the offense, or do you still think they're still missing pieces? I think outside of the running back position, if every player kind of hits early, they're a very stout team. Uh, that's just, I think, the best way to put it. Jalen Weidemeyer, of course, is your tight end one, but keep in mind the former number one tight end recruit from the 2018 recruiting class in uh, Baylor Cup missed all of last season with a leg injury that required surgery. So he'll be coming back on a redshirt freshman deal, and that's only going to benefit the team as a flex option, kind of how Jay Sternberger played in Fisher's first season at College Station. I also very much like Demon Demas. He's a five-star wide receiver prospect this past year. This was one of the better wide receivers coming out of high school. And even though he did not play this year, the Texas UYL restrictions allowing him to transfer this is a guy who put up over 2,000 receiving yards and 23 touchdowns in his final season up at Client Forest High School during uh, the 2018 season. So, again, all the pieces are there to replace the production. When you look at their defense on Texas A&M, we're talking about the Aggies preview for 2020. Should everything go off the way we uh, hope it is going to go? Of course, um, Defensive coordinator Mike Elko loses defensive tackle Justin Matabuke to Baltimore. Matabuke was a guy that Cole Thompson was very high on in terms of uh, his ability uh, coming out of Texas A&M. Of course, he gets drafted by Baltimore. Baltimore, as I've gone on record, has had the best draft in the NFL by by a large amount. Uh, let's let's face it, the Ravens have really helped themselves. 14-2, and two, they got better. Cole Thompson went on record last year talking about defensive tackle Justin Matabuke, how great a player he was, and he did some really big things. But when you look at the Aggies, uh, there's going to be uh, some change and there's going to be some new faces there for Texas A&M. Um, Tyree Johnson, Michael Clemens, uh, the defensive ends, they have to do more. There's recruiting talent. They stole away Donnell Harris from Miami, and they've done some big things defensively, but 
you have to wonder, uh, they've lost at uh, Matabuke in the middle, and uh, what's going to go on with this defense? Do you think there's going to be a better version, Cole, of this defense for Texas A&M in 2020, or do you think they take a step backwards? You know, I think that this is going to be the same type of defense you saw in 2020. The really only significant loss that you've had was just about a BK. And Matt BK, as credit as he was for being the team leader in sacks, uh, finishing fourth in tackles, he was number one in quarterback pressures as well. Defensive linemen are very easily replaceable if you have success on the outside. So Michael Clemens, Tyree Johnson, and a guy, DeMarvin Leal, who was a freshman last year, He'll be coming back. He made some incredible plays in the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State to kind of pop out and show what he's going to be able to do. And Bobby Brown, who took the place of Matt BK in that game, should also really fit the bill. I really want to see what the younger talent, such as Jalen Johnson, Jalen Jones from uh, Cibola Steel at the cornerback position. Maybe he can replace the likes of Charles Oliver or Deputy Renfro. Brian George, a junior college transfer from Highland Community College in Kansas can follow the same path as Elijah Blades, who became the full-time starter by the midseason point. I think that this defense should be significantly better if all their young talent hits, but at worst, they should be the same defense. When you look at it on paper, you're really only replacing one guy fully in that DK. And if you can do that, and Bobby Brown or one of the other younger talents, Dallas Walker, a few other guys who could be in the mix for it, can all come in and make an impact. I see this defense only staying as good as they were last year, if not improving, thanks to younger talent and veteran presence in my Douglas system. You're listening to Cole Thompson, our NFL insider, as well as the guy that covers the Texas A&M Aggies. And you can find his work at Pro Football. Uh, talk.com you can also follow him at mr cole thompson that's his twitter handle and to close out the segment on the texas a&m aggies if i asked you and you had to bet the farm on 10 wins or over or under do they get to the 10 win number or do you feel it'll be below 10 for this year's edition for now i'm gonna push only because <laughs> i do think that there will be a trap game i expect okay. them to lose to the likes of alabama and I would say right now there'd be another trap game with it being Mississippi State. I really like Mike Leach, and the biggest thing that you have with Mike Leach that none of the other new head coaches have at the quarterback position is KJ Costello, who transferred from Stanford and knows Mike Leach's system after playing him for three straight seasons. To be able to get that film, see what Leach likes to run, possibly even talk to the likes of guys like Luke Fox, Anthony Gordon, and Gardner Minshew, and how they found success under Leach. He will be able to, I think, make that offense be a little bit more sprite and spirited, even with a limited offseason, because of everything going on with COVID-19. That alone makes me think that this is kind of a trap game. I do expect them to be a competitive game against LSU. Maybe that's decided by a coin flip and the loss to Alabama. But outside of that, if they don't fall into another trap with Mississippi State or Auburn, 10 wins is very likely. But for now, I'm going to take the push with the under just because of, I think when you look at what Casey Costello can bring to the table in a Pac-12 offense, now joining the SEC, that could be very dangerous. Cole, in terms of our NFL look right now, I want to ask you this. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, of course, uh, you were high on Tua. They take Tua Tagovailoa with number five. Miami, uh, they expressed their love for him. They got the guy they wanted. 
Now, opening day, if it comes about as we hope it does, regular season opener, do you send out Ryan Fitzpatrick, or do you feel Tua has shown enough in terms of his workouts that you think he's going to leapfrog him, or do you think he's going to sit and have to wait his turn behind Fitzpatrick? I have no doubt in my mind. If I am if I am Brian Flores, I'm starting Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it's not because of, I think that Tua Tagovailoa is not ready to play quarterback. If we get a full season, if we get a you know even a preseason, I do believe he will have the skills and should be healthy enough to be on the active roster where he doesn't have to start on the IR missing eight weeks. I do, however, think that when you look at what this team is already missing, what this team needs to build around, what this team still has problems with. You're still not fully ready to contend in the AFC East with Buffalo, even with New England, because they still have Bill Belichick. I look at that, and because of that, I think, okay, let's go with Fitzpatrick. Let's see if that magic can stay around a little bit, get a few wins here, maybe a few losses, and then when we finally know two is healthy, let's give him a shot. And if he improves, we'll play him. If he does not, we still have Fitzpatrick for another year, he will be able to either shut down Tua or see what the problem is. And then from there, you decide on, is Fitzpatrick going to finish out the 2020 season or will Tua just start completely in 2021? When we look at the Arizona Cardinals, the situation, uh, of course, you get DeAndre Hopkins. You're down in Texas. You've heard about it from the fans down there. I know I've heard it uh, from Texan fans. This is stupefying to me, losing DeAndre Hopkins, a guy that was their team in so many ways to stretch the field. Now he's out in Arizona. The fallout there in Houston, uh, you're talking about a situation you don't replace a guy like this. First of all, uh, what was your take when that deal went down? Did you feel like I did, like it was the worst mistake they could have made? And your thoughts on what's going to happen with him teaming up with Kyler Murray out in the desert? Well, I spoke to about four or five people around the Texas organization and around the NFL, and they said, this is a move that if any other GM who was just a GM made, they would immediately be fired either before or after the draft, very similar to Doug Whaley <laughs> and Mike, and, uh, Mike McHagan for the New York Jets last year. This was such an asinine move to trade away one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL, who's on a very friendly contract, by the way. Let's just get that out of the way as well who had three years left on his deal and was not able to even garner one first-round pick back. But on the flip side, credit to Arizona that they were able to trade away a second-round pick, which they could have used on an offensive lineman, which they still got, by the way, in Josh Jones, who I thought was a late first-round talent in round three. But now not only do you have a veteran receiver who's finished, I believe, five out of his seven first seasons in the NFL with 1,000 receiving yards and four quarterback plays, you have a veteran person, a veteran pastor um, who's going to come in and help out the likes of young talent such as Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, and Hakeem Butler. But also, you have a true replacement for Larry Fitzgerald, who seems like every other week could be his final year in the NFL. So we don't know when he's going to go, but you do know that he has a contract that's so team friendly, he will be in Arizona to help with the progression of Kyler Murray. The Arizona Cardinals made a ton of moves this past offseason that truly should make them maybe not contenders in the NFC West, but a contender for the wild card position. Now the question is, will uh, Cliff Kingsbury air raid offense and Kyler Murray finally click 
now that he has not only one shooting receiver, but technically two, because Fitzgerald still is making great plays at 36. When you look at Hopkins' production, he's the third leading receiver since 2017 behind only uh, Julio Jones and Thomas from New Orleans. Uh, when you look at his production since 2017, 4,115 yards. And if you go a step further, you look at the fact that he caught 268 passes for 3,373 yards, 25 touchdowns, and only 38 games with Watson. I mean, just a perfect combination. And to take that weapon away from Watson, I think it's going to stun his growth. I think it's going to hurt them. I know they're trying to get some guys, and uh, you know, Brian's saying all the right things, but the Texans take a step back, I think, offensively, because they don't have that guy now to take the top off the field. I think it's going to be really to their detriment this is going to be one that I think could be the undoing for Bill O'Brien as either the GM or the head coach. I don't think the fans are going to – obviously, they've been voicing their displeasure, but if he gets this wrong, I think this could be his last year possibly as a GM, at least there in uh, Houston. I mean, I want to disagree with you. It definitely will be a prove-it year because if you're going to prove that you want to be successful, you're going to have to do it without the likes of your number one player. You're also going to have to do it with the likes of playing for aging veterans – who could bring up that same production that you would have gotten with Hopkins and guys such as Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks, who they signed this past offseason or traded for their second-round pick. But also, you have to bank on Will Fuller staying healthy for a full 16 games to be that vertical threat downfield. And if not the vertical threat, at least the possessional receiver in the role that Hopkins held last year. Keep in mind that since 2016, when he was drafted out of Notre Fuller has missed at least four games in every single season. So you added the injuries that have cost him nearly season-ending injuries, uh, multiple games where he's kind of been flexed in and out, where his, he's had those three or four breakout games. That's your now number one receiver, and that's a scary thought to think of, especially with Brandon Cooks, who despite having four 1,000-yard receiving years, has also missed time due to injury. So you're kind of going in with Deshaun Watson, hoping that if these two stay healthy, they can be your vertical threat. You have Randall Cobb be your slot target across the middle, and if Kenny still still is around, he's your big frame receiver and wide receiver number three. If all that happens, I still think Houston can look like a competent football team thanks to Deshaun Watson. I've actually been very impressed with how the offensive line has grown, even with the likes of trading away two first-round picks for Lammy Tunsil. I was very pleased with how limited of a role how productive of a role Titus Howard had last year. And Max Sharping out of Northern Illinois was a very quality pick to go in at the right guard position. So the offensive line is slowly but surely improving. If the receiving core can do the same, I still think Houston has a chance to be a quality 9-10 win, maybe even 11-win team in the AFC South this year. Final question for you. Of course, you make your stock and trade with college football. You cover the Aggies. And our special guest, Cole Thompson, he covers the NFL for the NFL uh, Pro Football uh, Insider for uh, us here on the Sports King Show. When you look at what you do on the pro side, on the college side, uh, you got your hands full and you're sitting there like everybody else wanting to the, see the resumption of all the sports in the world, uh, like all of us. Uh, what's your take? Uh, I know you hear some rumblings here and there on the college side, on the pro side. You think both will come back? In what form do you think you're going to be able to cover the teams? And I'm sure you have to go through a lot of protocols, and you've probably been uh, uh, talked to about some of the things you're going to have to do to change the way you cover teams. What are your thoughts about the fall and how this may shake out in your estimation? 
Well, we haven't heard anything on my side from the media perspective of how we're going to cover college football this year, how we're going to meet with the players and coaches and if everything's going to be by via Zoom or whatnot. I do think you will see college football return, and if not return at full capacity, at least at some capacity. Several states have already announced that they will allow 25% capacity of fans in the stands when sports officially return, whatever the date is, whatever the sport is. So you have that. But also you have conferences such as the Big 12 saying, well, we will allow 50% of fans once we know that our state is legally open. So, again, you have other teams looking at it from a different perspective saying, okay, well, we may have to wait for the government to open up for us. We have already decided that this is how we're going to, how we're going to do it. At the same time, this also comes down to government and, uh, government and state-by-state ruling what teams can play. So you could actually see a limited roster this year due to teams in the Pac-12 saying, you know what, we're not going to play this year because we're not safe. We do not feel safe with our health conditions around other facilities. You're also going to see as teams in the East Coast, such as Syracuse and Boston College, possibly do the same thing. And also, I do think you're going to start seeing lesser opponents when it comes to scheduling. You're not going to be able to have these players kind of come two or three days before for an event, they're going to have to stay in their own communities, fly in the day of super early in the morning, play, and then go home immediately after until we figure out the crisis of what is going on. Do I think the college football season will remain a full 12-game year? Um, hopefully. That, that's the hope right now. And according to everything that I've spoken to with SEC officials, they are planning on having a full 12-game season. But that's all just kind of wishes and hopes right now. There's no guarantee. Even with the facilities opening up back on June 8th, you have to hope that everything kind of comes together in our nation before we can really start deciding what comes together on the football field. Our special guest has been Cole Thompson. He covers uh, – he's a great writer. You can follow him at Pro Football Network. Also, follow him at Mr. Cole Thompson. That's his Twitter handle, and he's an insider here for the Sports King Show with all the inside info on the college and pro football aspects. Cole, we can't thank you enough. Stay safe down there, and we'll have you back soon. Hopefully, we'll hear uh, some great news coming forward about the opening of uh, college football, pro football, and we'll be able to get you back on and talk about some things that are actually live and happening in real time. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. Cole Thompson, our special guest. We're going to take a timeout. Coming back on the Friday morning edition of Sports King. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Hi, this is number 26, former Redskin defensive back and Super Bowl champion Danny Copeland. You're listening to my main man, Jamie King, on Sports King Show on Sports 106.1. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hail to the Redskins. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to the guy that was once addicted to brake fluid. But please don't worry, he says he can stop at any time. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061.
And welcome back, everyone. Friday morning edition of the Sports King, Sports 1061 Facebook Live. Just saw something flash across my screen. La Liga is going to come back. It's getting ready to start up. So all you soccer fans, you're loving that. I just saw something as uh, breaking news. Texas is going to allow 25% capacity in stadiums. So this is good, yet it's very bad. All right, let's say you're a Cowboys fan. You got season tickets. You want to see the Cowboys maybe play the Redskins. Marquee game for you. But are you one of the 25% that gets to go, or do you have to stay home? Maybe you get to see the Rams, or maybe you see the Titans, or somebody else that comes in that maybe you don't want to see. Who determines who gets to go and who gets to stay? Which 25% is a lottery situation? Is it alphabetical? Is it by uh, seat? How will they determine the 25% that gets to go on a week-by-week basis? If Texas starts to this, and it looks like that is underway now, will other states follow suit like Texas and just say, hey, we're only going to have 25%? So herein lies the rub for me. From a college football perspective, let's say that the college administrators say, we're going to allow 25% too, like the pro leagues. Major problem. Because if you're a season ticket holder, you then maybe not, you may not be able to see the games you want to see. Number one. Number two, which games are you allowed to go to? So once again, it's out of your hands. This whole thing's out of all of our hands, let's face it. But to not be able to see a game that you want to see because you don't know if you're in that 25%. Uh, that's going to be problematic, and it could cause a lot of hard feelings. And you've got some folks that have been season ticket holders for generations. So that's another situation. Some people may say, look, I've been supporting this team since 1940, 30, whatever, how long they've been there. My family's always had these tickets year after year after year, so we deserve to be at the head of the class. We deserve to see all the top games. We deserve, I mean, you can hear these arguments coming down the pipe. I mean, you can see this. And if you're a UVA Cavalier fan, the Richmond Spider fan, Virginia Tech Hokie fan, and you've had tickets in your family and you want to watch these teams play, it's one of those things where uh, you're wondering in terms of whether or not if that comes to pass, let's say that it does, it's not in, in cement yet in terms of, whether it'll be for all leagues or all teams, but just something being proposed now. And if it's outdoor, that's one thing. If it's indoor, if it comes inside and they say, hey, look, you'll only be able to seat so many people, 5,000, 10,000, whatever the number is, um, it, it just bothers me as to who is going to determine this ultimately. Will it be the chancellor? Will it be the NCAA, which really doesn't have the say over the particular college? It's going to be more than likely the university and the governor to say, hey, you're only allowed so many people in the gate. That's what we hope doesn't happen. So you wonder if you wear a mask and many people have said, hey, you can maybe drink your beer under your mask or eat a hot dog under your mask or whatever. But if you're with your family and let's say the Jones family are here and the Smith family is here, how much separation do you have to have between the Jones family and the Smith family? Is it a six foot rule for everybody? Is that the situation per family? And if you have six feet distance between seats, 
Um, you know, you get all kinds of things. You have to pass by people if you have to use the restroom or if you have to go get something from the concession stand. Um, a lot of problematic areas. I mean, this is just uh, to the point of uh, logistically speaking, it's going to be a tough situation overall in terms of how it's going to come down. But anyway, um, just food for thought. I just am wondering in terms of the long-term families that have had season tickets, how it's going to come down if you're told you can't see certain games and you've been there forever. I it could, could cause a lot of problems because uh, so many you know fans are rabid about following their teams and to be told maybe you're not going to be able to follow them for the near future, uh, only on certain games. It's not going to sit well and it could cause a lot of problems. And then you got the people that have been there forever saying, I deserve it more than they deserve it because I've been a season ticket holder longer. And then you got a major problem. Then you could easily see lawsuits and DDD, da, da, da. It could just really add to a lot of problems, which we hope won't occur. But that's just something to think about. So, Melvin Gordon, as we get ready, we'll have Dr. Paul Ross here momentarily. He's going to have the Ross Rules of Foot Care today. And his uh, advice for you that you want to hear is if the shoe fits. That's going to be interesting. We'll find out about that momentarily. But I uh, did want to let you know that Melvin Gordon, the outstanding running back for the Chargers, said that he is prepared uh, now that he's with Denver. He said he's preparing himself for playing without fans. He said it's no big deal for me because I was with uh, the Chargers and we didn't have any fans. Oh, ugly. Anyway, little cheap shot there at the old Charger fan saying that, hey, you know, I played in front of nobody because we didn't have any Charger fans at the game. I'm just going to be honest. We didn't have many Charger fans at any game, much loyal, no loyalty, no love, but uh, we did not have many people in the stands. And uh, since the start of the 2017 season, the Chargers have played in Los Angeles at the Dignity Health Sports Park, originally built to host soccer matches. The Chargers home stadium has an NFL low capacity of 27,000 people. Of those in attendance at Chargers games, most were identified as fans of the opposing team while the Chargers began to build a fan base in Los Angeles after moving from San Diego. The Chargers will play this season at the beautiful SoFi Stadium, a new arena that is going to be shared with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Gordon, however, won't be calling Southern California his football home this season as he signed the two-year deal with the Denver Broncos. So he'll do good things, I think, in Denver. It'll be a better situation for him there. But how miserable is it as an NFL player to work so hard, go out, you got a guy like Phillip Rivers who led your team last year, you go out into a stadium that is basically filled with opposing team fans, and you're trying to get through it, and the one thing you want to play off of the emotion of the fan base and the fact that they have moved from San Diego and they've lost a large majority of their fan base already. It's not a good situation. 27,000 is horrific for an NFL franchise. So they are now going to SoFi Stadium. We hope it'll be a better deal for them. Uh, Don't know in terms of the fan base because you go from uh, one city to another city to another city. You keep moving around. Your fans are like, what's going on? How can we support this team? Because we don't know year to year where they're going to be playing. And it's very disturbing for fans. But the Chargers uh, definitely are trying to build a fan base. Now SoFi Stadium, you have to share that with the Rams. That's another thing I don't like is having to share your fan base or share the area with another team. Beautiful stadium, but you don't have your own fan base to say this is our home. You say, this is our home, but we share with those guys. And that's kind of a tough deal all in all. So the situation is kind of uh, precarious, to say the least, for the Chargers. They're going to play in a new place. Uh, Once again, uh, they wonder this year what's going to happen at the quarterback position. Tyrod Taylor, former 
Uh, Hokey is going to be at the controls. You wonder if Cam Newton will end up there. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the show. Will Cam Newton come to D.C.? Still speculation there. Still wondering. You hear about uh, the uh, news recently with uh, Dwayne Haskins Jr. throwing to Antonio Brown. They've been working out together. And so you wonder if uh, Haskins Jr. goes into Ron Rivera and says, hey, look, this guy is a guy that can help us win now. And talking to some people yesterday about this, Antonio Brown, mercurial receiver, we know that. He's a guy that's a diva, we know that. But I've been kind of letting this uh, waft over me a little bit in terms of Antonio Brown to the Redskins. And my take on this is while it would be potentially cancerous in terms of a guy that could be a locker room cancer, we know he's a diva, we know he wants the ball. But the upside to him, if you're Ron Rivera, you sit him down and you say, look, when you're 100%, when you're all in, you are as good as there is in the league. But that's a big question. Anyway, we're going to talk about Antonio Brown at the start of Hour 2. We want to turn our attention now to the man we call the Bishop of Bunions, the Prince of Podiatry, the Ambassador of Ankles. He does it all. The man himself from, of course, he's got two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, Springfield, Virginia, Dr. Paul Ross. How are you doing, doctor? Doing great. Just wonderful, Jamie. Thanks. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing well. Saw you yesterday. Went up, uh, had a visit with Dr. Ross. And let me tell you, folks, he's doing things now um, also on the Zoom, on the video feeds, where you can actually, if you have a foot injury, you say to yourself, well, you know, I can't get up to see him now. Well, you can call and schedule. And we've had people doing this. Uh, call and schedule an appointment where he actually does a face-to-face over um the internet where he can talk to you and go over your issues and talk to you and build a plan. And then you get up and see him. And we went in yesterday. I was so impressed because all of his staff, all of them have the masks on. There's all constant cleaning. Uh, the place is pristine in terms of the way you've done this. And I'm telling you, if the NFL and the other leagues can work like your office, I think we're going to have sports back pretty soon because you really have a detailed plan to protect your patients. And uh, from A to Z, you've done an amazing job and you have not stopped working since it started with is a credit to you because you wanted to be there for your patients and they have been so grateful to you and it's just hats off i know it's been something you're very proud of hey jamie thanks yeah it's really just making a, a, a conscious effort and a conscious decision that we just do things the right way we don't want to put anybody at risk ourselves our staff and most importantly our patients because we know that when you leave and come into our office you're going out into other areas. We have patients who've actually, the only time they've ever come out is to see us and then go back. So I really feel quite honored that um, based on what transpired, that we know that we're all doing the right thing and, and not taking any undue risk. So it's been a great experience. And you mentioned the telemedicine concept, which is something we never really did before and most doctors really never did before. So now we're able to add that uh, again, with Zoom or uh, a FaceTime, uh, people sending in uh, photographs of their feet. So we're able to add that into it so people, even under normal circumstances, they're busy at work when this whole thing ends and we want to have a little consult. Well, we can just do it right, right from your office into my office, and uh, it gets done. So it's uh, it's another dimension to what we do, and it's been uh, quite refreshing. Of course, Dr. Paul Ross, award-winning podiatrist, both in Bethesda, Maryland, Springfield, Virginia. Folks, don't take my word for it. 
Over 180,000 people have been through to see Dr. Ross, and I tell you what, he does it better than anybody, and now it's time for something we get excited about here because it helps all of us. Anybody with any foot issue, uh, he gives us different tips every week. This week on the Ross Rules, the title of this segment is going to be If the Shoe Fits. So without further ado, the award-winning podiatrist himself, here he is, Dr. Paul Ross. Thank you so much, Jamie. So if the shoe fits. So what shoes are best for plantar fasciitis? We get this question every day. The answer is simple. Shoes that aren't flat. Typically, shoes with a raised heel and arch support are best for plantar fasciitis. When your heel is raised and your arch is supported, there's less tension on the plantar fascia ligament. It's not as if a good pair of shoes will stop the pain, but they can help to lessen it. Women should consider wearing wedges, race heels, or running shoes. Men feel best wearing running shoes or boots. Echo is a good brand for men's dress shoes. And in both cases, quality sandals such as Birkenstock, Vionic, or similar are best for home use. One of the most important things for most foot problems is to wear shoes or sandals when standing on hard surfaces, such as the kitchen floor. If you are wearing good supportive shoes and your heel pain doesn't lessen, don't make the mistake of thinking another brand of shoe is needed. There isn't a shoe brand that cures plantar fasciitis. Again, if you've had pain in your heel or heels for more than three months, you're risking having an easier condition to treat become one that can take several months to cure. Make good shoes part of your home remedy for plantar fasciitis. If there's no change after a couple of weeks, Having us to get to the root of the problem is your best bet. So when you're having some issues that don't respond, not just a plantar fasciitis, but any foot problem that you might have that's not responding in a rapid sense, please give us a call. In Virginia, we're at 703-451-2977. And in Maryland, 301-656-6055. And if you want any more information, feel free to get onto our website at paulrossdpm.com. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much for your time. Real quick before I let you go, why are people with foot fetish losers, Dr. Ross? <laughs> Whoever said that? Why are people well, are with foot fetish they, losers? They are not podiatrists, but foot fetish why are, is, you know, why, that's something. No, I was going to say, why are people with foot fetish I'm like, yeah, you go. Well, you, you're killing the big finish. Why are people foot finish losers? Because they like to taste defeat. Anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, be serious. Uh, did you know? Oh, I'm my. sorry. I'm sorry. I'll be here all, all right. week. Try the veal. Anyway. Okay. Hey, come on now. Hey, got a little levity there, my man. Hey, great seeing you. And oh, Ben said yeah, very little. Friend. But I'm gonna need we appreciate you. But thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Have a great weekend, and thank you so much for what you do. And once again, Dr. Paul Ross. And if you want to learn more about him, uh, Dr. Ross, the website, one more time. Paul Ross, D-P-M, P-A-U-L-R-O-S-S-D-P-M.com. You're the man. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And once again, the Ross rules on the Sports King Show, and it's an exclusive here every week. And we thank Dr. Paul Ross. We're going to take a timeout on this Friday morning. Come back. Hour two on the way of the Sports King. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Cup of Virginia native Keith, Mr. Jennings. 
formerly of the Golden State Warriors. And you are listening to a man who can shoot the three almost as good as me. It's the Sports King, Jamie King, on Sports 106.1. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies' volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies' lacrosse, From business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we're in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit cmascolonialhonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. And welcome back, everyone. Friday morning edition of the Sports King heading to the top of the hour. And we'll be back at the top of the hour talking about the NHL and uh, hopefully them getting underway soon. We've got a lot of sports uh, coming up around the corner. We're excited about that. And as we close out this hour, people have been texting, asking my opinion on something, a a very delicate subject. And I'm just going to give you a brief statement on my perspective. uh, The tragedy that has occurred in Minnesota uh, with the uh, killing of George Floyd, an African-American man, that, in my opinion, one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Uh, Many of you obviously feel the same way. It's something that should have never happened. Um, I don't know the facts, so I can't comment beyond that. But just to let you know, the sports world mourns him. Uh, The rest of the world mourns him in terms of what happened. Um, There's no place for this right now. Uh, Just my personal opinion here, in terms of our society, we have a pandemic going on, a situation that we didn't see coming that has devastated America, devastated the world in so many ways. And then to have something like this occur is just beyond tragic. Uh, the family of the Floyds, I, I send our, our condolences and best wishes to them and just something that should never have happened. There's no place for this anywhere uh, to somebody to be treated that way. And it just, uh, like I say, not to get too deep into it, but I just want to say that uh, 
as many people have said, what's my take? My take is uh, it couldn't be more wrong. I'm a human being. I have feelings about things, and I'm very strong in terms of being uh, kind to one another, treating one another well. And when you see things like this, the injustices out there, it's got to be stopped. And you know, I don't know if it's a training issue, human issue, what it is, but it's just horrific to watch. And, and the sports world mourns, as does the rest of the world. And we're so sad to see that happen. And we certainly hope healing starts soon. The folks in Minnesota and around the country, uh, you know, the folks that are taking part in some of these situations, it's just sad to see the city uh, going through the burning and some of the situations now. We certainly hope the healing will take place soon. And we wish, uh, once again, the Floyd family the very best. And this has been a tragedy any way you look at it. I'm so sorry that this occurred and we send our very best. We want to let you know coming up, Hour two, we're going to get into some more about the NHL. We're excited. The Capitals, they're sitting there waiting, hoping for another chance at the Stanley Cup. And remember the Capitals, nobody celebrates like the Washington Capitals. That's the one thing about it. When they finally broke through and won the Stanley Cup, you remember they were swimming in the fountains. They were drinking, partying for days on days on days on end. They would not stop going on talk shows. And I think that Stanley Cup uh, was filled with so much alcohol. It was just unbelievable. So OV and company said, hey, when we got this one, we were going to celebrate like it was snow tomorrow. And they did that. They never stopped celebrating. So when you say that Capitals team that won it all, did they enjoy it? They enjoyed every single minute of that in terms of winning a world title and a Stanley Cup championship. Now, you wonder with an abbreviated season in two divisions of 12, can they do it again? And I'm going to tell you in hour two how they're going to do it. Uh, they're definitely built for this. They have the team, and they get hot, get some goaltending. You know, Braden Holtby, if he regains his form and has that uh, Stanley Cup push in him, we know he's capable of leading us. But you got to have that great goalie play. And you have to have the guys come through, the usual usual suspects. And you have to have uh, OV coming through. And, of course, all the guys around him. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where if everything comes together – and clicks the right way, the Caps could easily win this one again. But it's going to be a different setup. So we're wondering about that in terms of how the setup's going to look. Is it going to be that Olympic Village thing we keep talking about, that bubble aspect where teams are just in one area and they're going to play? And then, of course, uh, you know, the certain lower-tier teams are going to get that shot to knock out the Kings at the top and then move forward. And uh, we're going to see how it's going to unwind. It's going to be interesting. But the fact is that... In the offing is some live sports. NASCAR has done it, doing it very effectively. NHL's next. Will it be the NFL? Will it be college football? Some people say it's coming back full-fledged. Some people not so sure. So we're going to talk about that hour, too. We'd like to take your calls, too. Give us a call, 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888. What sport do you miss the most? What sport do you want to see the most? What means the most to you in terms of that one sport you can't live without? We'll tell you about our favorites when we come back. You're listening to the Sports King on a Friday morning edition, 11 o'clock, coming up. And we've got one hour left and then off to the jungle with Jim Rome. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, sports fans. This is Hall of Famer Andre the Hawk Dawson of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to a guy who hits a home run with every show. It's the Sports King with Jamie King on Sports 106.1. 
Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back, everyone. Friday edition of the Sports King, Sports 1061. And we are excited. It's a Friday morning, an hour left in the show. Want to thank Cole Thompson, our NFL insider, hour number one. Dr. Paul Ross, our in-house podiatrist for the Sports King. Of course, amazing Dr. Paul Ross. Today's Ross rules was if the shoe fits. Folks, I want to send a shout out to a good friend of ours, uh, Daryl Mosley, who is the pastor at uh, Stafford Crossing. Church in Stafford, Virginia. And if you want to follow Daryl and his outstanding services, you can follow him at staffordcrossing.org. Definitely uplifting, something we need right now more than ever. And Daryl is a big sports fan, big Alabama fan, big Redskin fan. Asked me a lot of times about the skins and what I can do to get it fixed for him. And I just don't quite have the answers. Alabama, he's had a lot of fun with, but the skins, not so much. But we have a lot of fun with it. And, um, Daryl travels the world in terms of helping others and building homes and uh, uh, spreading the word. And he does an amazing job in our community. And so once again, staffordcrossing.org, if you'd like to follow this weekend and every weekend, he definitely would, uh, as he always says, he'll have a seat for you. And uh, when things restore and definitely you can watch from home and learn more about it. They have great music and uh, definitely doing their best to uplift people in a very tough time. I want to talk about transferring, uh, quarterbacks we want to talk about uh, quarterback JT Daniels uh, has transferred from USC to Georgia Georgia has seen a former five-star quarterback transfer out of the program in recent years now another's on the way JT Daniels the 247 sports composites number three overall rated quarterback nationally in 2018 announced yesterday afternoon he will be transferring from USC to Georgia Daniels was behind only Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in the quarterback pecking order in the rankings in 2018, so they're getting a good one. Lawrence won the national title at Clemson in 2018, and Fields was a backup at Georgia behind Jake Fromm before transferring after his freshman and becoming a home uh, becoming a Heisman uh, Heisman finalist back in 2019. The six foot three, he's got great size, 210 pound Daniels passed for 2,672 yards with 14 touchdowns and 10 interceptions in 2018 while completing 59.5% of his passes as a true freshman. He did not arrive until the summer after reclassifying, but became the second true freshman quarterback in program history to start a season opener. Daniels picked the Trojans over Michigan, Stanford, uh, 
And basically, he had his pick of the litter where he wanted to go, but he decided uh, that his best opportunity would be going to Georgia. Big move from USC to Georgia, but uh, he's a good one. Uh, Daniel sustained a season-ending right knee injury late in the first half of the opener of the 2019 season against Fresno State, a game in which he went 25 or 34 for 215 yards and a touchdown and one interception. His replacement, Keaton Slovis, passed for 30 touchdowns and nine interceptions with completing 71.9% of his passes en route to freshman All-American honor. So he kind of saw the writing on the wall with Slovis having a great year. He felt uh, the opportunity would be better for him to uh, take his uh, – football and head on down to Athens for Kirby Smart. So that could be a real, real good fit for him. It definitely was not going to be a good situation for him in Southern Cal. So he decided to move on. We did want to talk briefly about Roy Halladay, uh, very disturbing. Uh, the great pitcher, of course, he was the Blue Jays, the Phillies, and uh, there's going to be uh, some big stories out about him coming uh, up in the next few weeks uh, in terms of what happened with him. Uh, they say that he kind of spiraled into depression and drug addiction. And E60 is going to have a powerful, absorbing documentary called Imperfect, the Roy Halladay story, uh, this evening, 7 p.m. And it's a situation that talks about the fact that he was a dominant guy on the field, but off the field, he did not have control of things. And he basically, uh, as you recall, on the morning of November 7, 2017, uh, his plane crashed in the Gulf of Mexico. In his system were opioids, amphetamines, antidepressants, and anxiety medications in his body. Uh, he'd been to rehab twice, once in 2013 uh, when he was pitching for the Phillies another time for three months in 2015 after retirement. So there are all kind of signs here. And Halliday was definitely a quiet guy. He did not talk openly about it. It was something he kind of kept under wraps. Other than his wife, a lot of people didn't know about this going on. Some teammates suspected some things going wrong. He was in a lot of pain. As you know, Roy Halladay, one of the toughest competitors ever to play Major League Baseball, but could not control his addictions off the field, and this is what led to his undoing, uh, operating obviously a plane, a single-engine plane, in a situation there um, with opioids and all the things he had in his system. was uh, just very fortunate that nobody else was injured uh, in the crash, it took his life because it was a situation that could have been very bad had he been near a community or something, but he was out over the ocean. So uh, it was only him that perished, but it could have been a really ugly situation overall. But uh, it will be interesting. I will say this. Uh, he threw a perfect game, Ben Maitland just told me, 10 years ago today. It was Roy Halladay uh, with a perfect game. He was an amazing pitcher, a real workhorse, but that was a very uh, tough situation uh, overall. But you wonder uh, – what exactly led to it, and uh, now we're starting to find out more and more about Roy Halladay. We want to tell you that uh, Joe Flacco, we mentioned yesterday, is going to be the backup to Sam Darnold in New York, and the Jets are excited to have him. They wonder if he's going to be able to compete with Darnold right out of the bat, uh, right off the bat, and they say basically that it's going to be Darnold's job with him as a backup, which I think he's going to be comfortable doing that. He'll be a great guy that can step in in a moment's notice and carry the team if need be. So it's a good fit for both Darnold, who can learn from uh, Flacco and back and forth. I think it's going to be something that will definitely work out for the Jets. We were going to have today, and unfortunately we weren't able to lock it in, but we look to have it next week. Of course, Denard Wilson, former DeMatha uh, player, and he's now a coach with the New York J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets on the defensive backs. Uh, he coaches defensive backs. He was going to come on. We look to have him on next week, 
and he's going to tell us about Sam Darnold, the addition of Joe Flacco, and what's happening on that defense of the Jets. Will this be a situation where the Jets take a quantum leap this year? Because I'm telling you what, they need something to happen positively. That team has really been struggling. And it starts at quarterback. Of course, you had Darnold with mononucleosis. You had a situation where they were not playing up to their capabilities. The Jets are trying to move things around, get some players in there that can help them, but the Jets have been struggling, to say the least. And it's not going to get any easier for the Jets. You have to understand now, the Jets have to get through the gauntlet eventually of KC. You're not going to do that. I mean, you've got Baltimore not going to do that. They're just not that high level of team. Now, today on Facebook, wearing my Pittsburgh Steeler gear, the Steelers and uh, many people, Mike Haynes including, uh, say it's a stairway to seven. They think the Steelers this year are going to surprise. And I'm going to tell you what, I feel the Steelers with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger don't overlook them. Mike Tomlin, local product, as we well know, is a guy that is quietly laying there. And if you sit there and think to yourself, the Steelers don't have to be contended with, you're overlooking them. And you may say, well, you know, it's going to be a two-horse race with the Ravens and the Chiefs, and it could be. But the Steelers, my pick, with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger and the pieces they have, don't go to sleep on these Pittsburgh Steelers folks. Always tough. Always a team to watch. Now, they've had quarterback issues, but Ben Roethlisberger is the key. And they say that he's throwing the ball well, that he looks as well as he's looked in a long time from a health standpoint. So when you bring that back in the equation with one of the premier quarterbacks, the question is going to be, can you protect him? Can you keep Big Ben upright? You know when he's healthy, when he has protection and he can throw the football, he's as good as anybody's ever played the game. The question is, if he's getting banged around and he's not going to be able to make it through a season, therein lies the problem. So can you do enough from a rushing attack standpoint? Benny Snell, James Conner, can you do enough to offset? Uh, of course, you don't have an Antonio Brown, but you've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You've got receivers there that are definitely uh, guys that can make plays. But you wonder with Ben, do you have enough there? Do you have enough pieces to help him get done what he needs to get done on the offensive side? Now, on the defensive side, we know what's happening with the Steelers there. Always formidable on defense. But you wonder, from an outlook standpoint, if they're going to be able to take the next leap forward. And that's the big question mark now. Yes, you've got Ben, but Ben can't do it himself. He has to have the pieces around him. So you wonder what's going to happen because – You've got a situation in receivers like Deontay Johnson, who's a guy looking to take a major step forward. Of course, he was the 10th wide receiver selected in last year's draft. Unlike eight of the nine taken ahead of him, Johnson did not have the benefit of a Power 5 conference competition. So you look at him, you look at Gandy from Liberty for the Redskins, and you wonder if the guys that aren't taken in the Power 5 conferences have the ability to step up and play at the elite level and how long the basic switch from their division to the NFL, which is a quantum leap. Some guys make it easier. Some guys don't make it at all. So you wonder how it's going to be for Deontay Johnson. But when Ben Roethlisberger is guiding you versus a rookie like Mason Rudolph, if you have a young quarterback in there, it's going to be tough. But Roethlisberger can take you under his wing and make you better. So it's going to be a situation where uh, Johnson can step in there with the Smith-Schuster and be a Batman-Robin situation if you get a good rushing attack get some play out of the tight end, that offense can do enough consistently to put points on the board with a solid defense. That's why you can't discount the Pittsburgh Steelers. They just are a team that 
you know, hangs around, hangs around, and next thing you know, they beat you in the end because of Roethlisberger. He is the X factor for this team. Make no mistake about it. You cannot, and I talk about certain guys, you can never bet against, and Ben Roethlisberger is one of them because he's a guy that has a gunslinger mentality that goes in a ball game knowing that if he has the pieces around him, he could be as good as anybody. What's your take on the Steelers? 804-327-0888. Do you feel the Steelers can contend? Do you think they can beat the Chiefs head-to-head? Do you think they can beat the Ravens head-to-head? These are the questions that uh, most stand out to me in terms of head-to-head because the Chiefs, when you look at them top to bottom, one of the most talented, if not the most talented team in the NFL with the Ravens right there, one and one A maybe from a talent standpoint, top to bottom. So when you run out there and you say to yourself, I'm on, I'm out gunned. I don't have enough talent. I've got to figure out ways. You have to have ball control. You have to be able to keep that high powered offense, whether it be Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, you have to keep them off the field. And Roethlisberger smart enough to do that. He's smart enough to basically say, I can keep them in bay long enough Keep us in the game, keep hanging around, and we'll get them in the fourth quarter. But if you think Pittsburgh can just trot out there and go toe-to-toe and run up and down the field with Kansas City's in the in, in the, the Ravens situation, you can't do it. You're just outgunned. Not knocking Pittsburgh. I'm just saying they don't have the talent per position to keep up and attract me. So mentality-wise, you have to go out and say to yourself, let's go ball control, let's Watch the clock. Let's chew the clock. Long, sustained drives. Come away with three. Come away with seven. But we have to come away with points on every drive. And we have to do something. Get a turnover here and there. But if we can play the ball control game behind Bentham Roethlisberger, we have an opportunity to upset and beat these teams. Now, if they play, you know, maybe eight out of ten times, they don't win. Uh, But you wonder on those one or two times where they can win, and that's what you have to have in a playoff scenario, just get hot on that one particular day. So you wonder with the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, they've got the pieces, but they don't have the pieces to match up week in, week out with the greats of the KC and the Ravens. They just don't have it. Not saying they can't rise up, and I know they can because of the talent level uh, that's there, but it's all back to the Roethlisberger offensive coordinator. They have to be on the same page and say, how's our strategy? What do we do? We get off the bus. We have to start thinking about ball control. Let's chew up clock. Let's go on long, sustained drives. Let's keep Mahomes off the field, keep Jackson off the field. Because if we can do that, our opportunity to win goes up exponentially. However, we turn the ball over. We go three and out, three and out, three and out. It's Katie Bar the door. You have no chance. And that's every team. Uh, in the NFL, anybody that goes into play Baltimore or Kansas City or has them come to you, if you think you can go three and out and, sus- and not sustain any drives and win, you've got no chance because you have to stay, sustain drives. The only way to beat those teams is beat them at their own game, and that means you have to keep them off the field. You keep them off the field, you have an opportunity. If you don't, you're in trouble. And that's the key. Mahomes loves it. Hey, if I get out there and do a track meet situation, you want to go with us? That's fine. You want to go toe-to-toe? That's fine. Give me the ball. Give me as many possessions or more than you, and you're going to lose every time. However, the ball control aspect of the Pittsburgh Steelers is what could defeat those type of teams because of the slowdown approach. Uh, You make them do what they don't want to do. That's the first thing you do from a coaching perspective. You look at a team and say, what can I take away from the opposition? What do they like to do? What can I take away and make them do things they don't want to do? 
And if you impose your will that way, you have an opportunity to win ball games. However, when you fall into that trap, and if you get stuffed on third down and third down and third down, you're punting, 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 it's over. It's over quickly. And they will put you out of your misery. So can they do it? Possibly. The Steelers are a team that I circle when I say they can come in, and if you're not careful and they hang around to that fourth quarter, they can walk away victorious. So that's my take on the Steelers, a team that may not be as talented as the top tier, but talented enough if they impose their will and if Big Ben is able to manage an offense that is ball control and keeps other team, uh, other uh, high-powered offenses off the field. That's their MO. That's how they've got to win this year in my perspective. So it's a Steeler situation that could they be in it at the end? Absolutely. Do I expect them to be in? Maybe not so much, but they definitely are capable. One of the teams I circle and say that type of team is the kind of team that can win. Conversely, you look at, Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay now with Brady and company. You get down in the red zone, Rob Gronkowski is not going to be at every down uh, tight end. He's not going to be that guy. So if you're sitting there saying from a fantasy, and we have a lot of fantasy players, I'm going to get on Rob Gronkowski because he's going to catch so many balls. He's going to do this, folks. He's not going to do that. He's advancing in age. His situation with Bruce Arians is going to be a red zone deal. When you get down inside that 20, uh, he's going to come out. And that's where he's going to make his bread and butter. That's where he's going to do his damage. I don't see him as that every down guy that's going to go down the field and just take the beating, beating, beating. They're going to put him in a position where you get to that red zone. Gronkowski, is, his plays are going to go up exponentially because he's going to be the guy that's going to be targeted heavily because of the knowledge of he and Brady together. So when you look at offensive uh, production and offensive philosophy, Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians know when they get down around that red zone, when you got Kronkowski, even if you use him as a decoy, and then you got Mike Evans and Godwin, I mean, you got to look at Gronk and maybe think, i got to double this guy because he's such a big force inside. If you go inside and try to double him, then you leave Evans maybe singled up on the outside, and he's so tall he can go up and get it, and Godwin with the speed on the other side. You're looking at two guys that can – it should open up big time for them. So – that's what Gronkowski brings to the table for me is the opportunity to either be primary or decoy. And if you decoy him, it opens it up for Evans, who should have a career year, I think, and Godwin as well, because of the fact that when you have a guy that's inside that's so disruptive and he draws coverages and you have to bracket him, you're going to leave somebody uncovered, and therefore it's going to open up big time for Brady in the red zone. So I expect the Tampa Bay red zone offense this year, to go through the roof. Now, looking at Tampa Bay, can they go with a Kansas City? Can they go with a Baltimore? Once again, it's going to be a situation with ball control. And Brady's a master at ball control. So those are the kind of teams that you circle and say, can they win? Can they advance? So if you're a fan of those teams, the Steelers or Tampa Bay, you're kind of in that particular area where you say, yeah, we've got a chance. We have a chance, but things have to go the right way. There are no teams outside of Kansas City and Baltimore, in my opinion, in the league. And I'm sorry, San Francisco, you're not there either. These two teams, in terms of the fast break ability, there are two teams that come to mind to me. It's San, it's um, Kansas City and it's Baltimore. San Francisco can play, and they've got tons of weapons, no question about it. But that fast break offense, there are two teams that can quickly pull away from you in that couple series, the next thing you know, the ball game. So you have to watch those fast break offenses and take away what they don't 
want to do. Make them do what they don't want to do. If you can do that and oppose your will, you've got a chance. So that's my take on that. But the Steelers are dangerous. They're a dangerous animal, and you back them in the corner, anything can happen. That's my take. Love to hear from you in the last half hour of the show. Give us a call, 804-327-0888. Talking Steeler football. We're going to come back and look around the league and give you some top sport sports stories as the Sports King rolls on Friday morning. Hi, this is Bart Oates, Super Bowl champion, center from the New York Giants. You're listening to the Sports King Show with Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the Podiatry Center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Friday morning, last half hour heading into the weekend. Hope it's going to be nice weather. A little cloudy out there now, but uh, hopefully the clouds lift and the sun comes through. And uh, we see some uh, sun for today, which would be great. Hope you guys are enjoying the show wherever you're at. Want to let you know that uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, of course, a pitcher, uh, is not happy with Major League Baseball agent, super agent Scott Boris. He said... Uh, Basically, not one of the mince words. Um, there was a situation with Boris uh, trying to guide his high-powered guys, the ones that make the most money. Uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Union are in the midst of an economic dispute, but the Cincinnati Reds pitcher Bauer had some choice words for the agent Scott Boris. He said, basically, stop meddling in MLB affairs. Keep your personal agenda out of our union business. His tweet basically said, Quote, hearing a lot of rumors about a certain player agent meddling in MLBPA affairs. If it's true, and at this point these are only rumors, I have one thing to say. Scott Boris, represent your clients however you want, but keep your damn personal agenda out of union business. End quote. So that's his take. An email that Boris wrote, obtained by the Associated Press, said players should not agree to further pay cuts to bail out the owners. Let owners take some of the record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salaries you agree to accept or let them borrow against the asset values they created from the use of those profits players generated, end quote. So Boris taking a hard line because of the fact, folks, don't cry for Scott Boris. Boris, who's been outspoken during these negotiations, he represents 71 players overall 
on active rosters and injured lists as of August 31st, including star players Max Scherzer, Bryce Harper, Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, and Steven Strasburg. The offseason, this offseason, his company has negotiated more than $1.2 billion in contracts. So Scott Boris has a certain uh, vantage point he's looking from, and it's all about the dollars, folks. So he's trying to get his players to hold on to the majority of their money because guess what? The Boris Corporation, it's a trickle-down effect. It's going to come back to the Boris Corporation if they take a hard-line stance. My take on this is if there's no baseball, there's no money. So you can either play for a prorated amount or take your ball and go home. And if you do, you're going to turn off the American public. Everybody is going to have an opinion on this. People are going to come down on this very hard, and they're basically going to say enough is enough. And when you're looking at Major League Baseball and their representatives, and you say to yourself, you know, how do I look at it? Um, I work 40 hours a week. I make X dollars. And these guys can't come down and can't negotiate and can't work in good faith for the American public. It really drives you crazy as a fan. Because right now, you have to ask yourself, this weekend, would it be great to see something Major League Baseball? They're talking about a potential July 4th opening day. Wouldn't it be great? on the country's birthday to have Major League Baseball? So maybe sit home, sit in your garage, sit in your basement and watch a ball game, have a hot dog and a beer and watch your favorite team play and get away from this madness just for a little bit. But because you're not going to make the millions you're going to make, heck with the American fan. Forget about it. I'm not going to be there for them because I'm not getting mine. In the word of Blake Snell, of course, Tampa Bay's pitcher, who said, if I don't get mine, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to play. Well, you know what? You're losing fans by this attitude. And in turn, the NASCAR world and potentially the NBA and NHL and football, these groups are coming back and they look like they're coming back in droves. So baseball is in a precarious position here. If you err on the side of caution and you try to do something and say it's all about the money and you basically don't come back, it will have long-lasting effects because I, I've got people now to this day that will say I'll never watch an NFL game again because of the kneeling situation with Colin Kaepernick. And that's a personal view. Anybody can have their own view. And so many people were turned off because they didn't feel – uh, it was right, and they felt it was against the American flag, and some people feel it's right because it's for social justice. So you've got your takes on both sides, and you have to respect people's opinion. That's opinions. But when Major League Baseball comes down to dollars and greed, it would rub the American uh, worker the wrong way because you have so many people out there just grinding every day trying to do their best, frontline workers, store workers, uh, gas station attendants, uh, people that are doing uh Mail carriers, UPS, FedEx, all the people delivering things that want to get home and watch something sports related. And you take that away from them because of the almighty dollar. You can't work it out. You can't find a way. To me, it's unfathomable in terms of why you can't come to some solution. You've had months to work this out. Now, all of a sudden, at the 12th hour, you're going to sit there and say, well, you know what? I don't think we're going to get it done because we're not getting what we want. They're not getting what they want. So let's go ahead and just uh, have an impasse and uh, the American uh, buying public, the people that want to view it, they're going to be the ones that are going to be hurt the most. So it's a situation that uh, we're always the last consideration. 
And that's something I just think is uh, horrific. I mean, you've got so many sports out there wanting to do what's right, but for whatever reason, Major League Baseball feels like they're above the law and they don't have to do anything for us. It's basically about their needs only. Nobody else matters, just the owners or the players. The fans are in the back of the rack. Who cares about the fans? What do we what do we do? We only go there. We only support them. We only buy merchandise. We only buy the food and the beverages. Why should they care about us? Have you heard anybody on either side come out and say, you know what? What about the fans? What should we do for them? Where do they fit in this equation? You won't hear it. You'll hear it here on my show, on the Sports King show. You won't hear it in the area of ownership or the player association because it's not a factor. It doesn't matter. I haven't heard one guy anywhere at the top go, you know what? Maybe we should take one for the team. Maybe we should take a prorated salary and just get out there and play for the fans. And remember, as Mike Neville said yesterday on the show, he said, this is a game we play as kids. This is a game we grew up loving. And because you don't have the God-given ability, you can't make it to that level. But we are fans, and we deserve the opportunity to watch our teams play because we've been there always for them. So the minor league players, and thank you, Nikki Williams uh, on Facebook Live had mentioned, Minor league players now are getting to the point where they're cutting minor league baseball left and right because of the salaries. Now you got these guys that have been schlepping around town to town, going to these small towns, trying to just eke out a living to keep the dream alive, and they're being dumped left and right because they're a minor consideration. They're not even being looked at as important, just like the fans. So you've got the minor league players that are being basically told you don't have a job at all. We're only worried about the major league players. So therein lies another rub. It just is a bad look for baseball when you don't care about the young minor leaguers that are trying to come up and earn an opportunity to one day play at the major league level. So that's another black eye potentially for baseball because of the fact that they're not even protecting their own. They're protecting the almighty dollar, which is something that we continue to harp on here on the Sports King because it's just wrong. So let's hope that cooler heads prevail over the weekend, that people stop talking more about the dollars and talk more about what makes sense. And what makes sense is coming back and coming back for all of us to be able to enjoy something, hopefully by July 4th. Want to move on to NASCAR. Chase Elliott, of course, uh, after back-to-back NASCAR Cup Series races ending in heartbreak for Chase Elliott. The number nine, my favorite number, by the way. The Chevrolet driver finally won in an empty victory lane for the first time in 2020. Elliott won the Alsco Uniforms 500 at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Thursday night. He's now automatically qualified for the 16-driver 10-race playoffs in the fall. It was a rainy, it was uh the reigning most popular driver, seventh career win. This guy is popular. And while it's technically his first checkered flag on Charlotte's 1.5 mile oval track, his most recent race win was in the 2019 playoffs at the venue's half oval. And uh, Denny Hamlin finished Virginia's Denny Hamlin finished second. and was followed by Ryan Blaney, Ricky Stenhouse jr. And Kurt Busch to round out the top five drivers during his on track interview after the race, Elliott told Fox sports, what he's been going through and what's going through his mind with the final laps with uh, Hamlin and Blaney on his tail. So uh, Elliot went on to talk about he was waiting for the caution to come out. And to be honest with you, I thought the caution was going to come out earlier. I was going to break something. I was going to crash just after the last couple of weeks. I really thought it was going to go green until the end. Just glad it did and glad we hopefully got back on the right path. So Chase Elliott, uh, Unbelievable performance there. Two weeks ago at Darlington Raceway, the 24-year-old Hendricks Motorsports driver was in contention to win late in the race when he was, quote-unquote, unintentionally 
uh, Kyle Bush made contact with him from behind unintentionally once again. Uh, but he was uh, sent spinning there, was able to win. But Ellie was understandably furious about that, but he did not uh, let it stop there. In Sunday's Coca-Cola 600, he had the lead with just two laps to go when a caution flag and trip to pit road essentially ended his hopes of winning. And although he won the NASCAR Truck Series race Tuesday and won the $100,000 bounty, that's not the same as a cup win, obviously. So big, big win for Chase Elliott and congratulations. NASCAR really getting it done. And folks, here's the thing. And when I talk about the sports world and NASCAR, NASCAR, I haven't heard one guy, and they may do it privately, they may do it in the pits, but I have not heard one guy say, hey, man, uh, what are you getting? What am I getting? Who's getting paid? Well, these guys are there. They're in their crew uh, area working hard. They're in the pits working hard, doing everything they can to put the best product out there to try to win a race. And that's everything they're trying to do is entertain and they're trying to win. And they're doing it the right way because they're not complaining about prize money. They're saying, hey, I'm grateful for whatever we win. I'm happy. It's in a situation that, of course, there's no fans. So they're having to deal with all of that. But they're doing a remarkable job. And hats off the NASCAR. It's one of those situations where you say, man, these guys are really putting it out there. And without fans, they're doing it as well as they possibly can. So hats off the NASCAR. Major League Baseball could definitely pay, take a page from them because they need to understand, as NASCAR does, it's about the fans and what can we do to restore something in America to give people something to smile about. So that's the situation there. And congratulations once again to the number nine Chevrolet driver, Chase Elliott, for the big win and a uh, situation that he's been working hard for. So congratulations there. We're going to take a time out, come back with the final 20 minutes or so or show. If you'd like to call in, give us a call. Talk about your favorite sport, your favorite athlete, what's going on with you, what sport do you miss the most, what do you want to see come back. Let us know. We're closing it out on the Sports King on this Friday morning. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Chris Mooney of the Richmond Spiders. You're listening to Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 1061. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit cmascolonialhonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Let's get back to the guy who said where there's a will, there's a relative. Oh, you're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 1061. 
We are on a mission from God, as you well know. We want to thank Cole Thompson, our one guest NFL insider, and Dr. Paul Ross, who gave us some great advice today in the world of foot care. His Ross rules today was if the shoe fits. So we thank Dr. Paul Ross in the podiatry center for that information. Want to let you know that all is not well in the world of minor league baseball. Of course, they're starting to cut minor league baseball left and right. We'll be following that story. But an ex-Met teammate of Tim Tebow uh, basically took a major swing at the uh, former Heisman winner. He Basically, uh, the comments there were uh, very biting. Not all minor league players in New York were very happy with Tim Tebow as a teammate. Andrew Church, a former second-round draft pick, was one of the several minor leaguers players that were released on Thursday. When he was released, he wrote a lengthy Instagram post blasting the Mets organization for taking advantage of him during his career. He also appeared to call out Tim Tebow when the Mets decided to sign a certain quote-unquote celebrity in 2016 to play in the minors, though he did not mention the former quarterback by name. Here is the excerpt about Tebow from Andrew Church. He said, quote, the Mets made a mockery of our team by putting a celebrity on it to sell more tickets. I saw players lose their jobs because of it. We weren't playing to win. We were playing to make everyone else money, not the players. We never saw a cut. Well, allegedly one player did, referencing Tebow. I think people are starting to understand that more now, but they didn't in 2018 when it was happening. Again, I was fed up, end quote. So the situation there that uh, you're looking at with the Mets and Andrew Church. Uh, He should have kept his thoughts to himself out of respect for the organization, but on his way out the door, decided to blast Tebow. Tim Tebow, uh, 32 years of age, is a career 223 hitter with 18 runs, 327 strikeouts, and 287 minor league games. The former Heisman Trophy winner will not play this summer due to the coronavirus pandemic. Well, will continue his broadcasting career. So when you look at Tim Tebow, I've always loved Tim Tebow as a person, as a player. The guy does things the right way. He tries so hard, everything he does. You can't really criticize the guy for trying, just like Michael Jordan. Many people want to say, well, he should never play baseball. That was his decision. Tebow felt he could do this, tried to do it. And, folks, I don't think you understand how hard it is to play at the collegiate level the way Tebow did, then try to make the – great jump to the NFL that he did. And he won the playoff game against uh, uh, when he was a uh, quarterback. And of course, uh, we'll never forget that. He did some great things against, uh, it was in Denver's big win on the playoff side. He did that there. Now, some people may say, well, you got lucky, you know, whatever. But Tebow, from a standpoint of talent, he's a guy that has an inner drive that is virtually unmatched in college football. He led those Gator teams, uh, and he said, hey, after that one loss, uh, we're never going to lose again. He had the speech, and he said, you'll never see a team that will try harder. And basically it was all Tebow trying to lead that team. He had that inner ability to lift his teammates up. Now he goes to baseball, and people want to bash him out the door. What I don't like about this from Andrew Church is if you got a problem with Tim Tebow, take him aside, talk to him privately, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, and let him know how you feel. Or maybe tell your manager behind closed doors. But the coward's way is after you get released from the organization, then all of a sudden you want to have keyboard courage and type up something and say, you know, this is how I really feel now that everybody's out of my sight and I can't 
you know, talk to them in person. I'm going to go ahead and just make a blanket statement and try to, you know, cast aspersions on Tebow. Now, here's the deal here. Uh, he probably wasn't complaining when the fans were packing the stands there to watch him play. Uh, whatever he did uh, was magnified because fans came out in droves to watch because of Tebow. Now, I do understand he takes a roster spot up, and some people may say, well, it was a situation where he shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have allowed him to do it. But when you look at the Mets' perspective, ticket sales are going through the roof with Tim Tebow there. It was something they did, and they felt it was in their best interest as an organization. They felt that Tebow was not just a novelty, but that he actually had a chance to potentially make a major league roster. I'm not saying he would have. I'm not saying he wouldn't have. But Tim Tebow, one thing you know about him, he's going to give you everything he has. He's going to work hard, not harder than anybody on the team because of the way he's built, his mindset, his ability to achieve. And he wanted to do this. Tim Tebow didn't go to the Mets to say, I just want to be a throw-in. I just want to be a guy that's here to take up a roster spot. He would never have done that. He took that opportunity with the Mets with one intention. That was to become a Major League Baseball player. Anybody looks at Tim Tebow, who was a left fielder for the Mets, if you look at him and say, well, it was just a novelty. He went out there just to have some fun and do something he wanted to do hobby-like. It was no hobby for Tim Tebow. He went at this and worked so incredibly hard. Now, the results didn't come about the way he wanted, but you cannot argue with the intention on his behalf. This wasn't a stunt. This wasn't something that he did, a carefree way of saying, hey, I'm going to take somebody's roster spot. Tebow's made millions. These other guys he knows are out there grinding. But Tebow felt that he could win a job eventually at the major league level. That's the only reason he went there was not to stay and be a career minor leaguer. He wanted an opportunity to prove that he could play at the highest level possible, much like Michael Jordan. That's the only reason that Jordan went. He wanted his opportunity. and Many people felt he could have eventually made it to the big leagues. And, of course, he had some hook, you know, basically problems with the curve. And when they threw him the hook, he had problems with hitting the baseball at times. But he was getting better. But people felt Jordan, just like Tebow, could eventually maybe have made it. But now with a pandemic situation, a very big situation that none of us saw coming, we now wonder if it uh, is the end of his career in terms of whether Tebow will ever play baseball again. We don't know. But we do know he is an accomplished author. He's also an accomplished speaker. And he'll go back to broadcasting. He'll be just fine. So your situation there is that. I do want to give you guys my thoughts on the situation with this Lance Armstrong deal. I've gone on record saying this. Uh, the recent documentary series, The Last Dance on ESPN, was arguably one of the greatest ever put together. You saw things from Michael Jordan in the back side of that Bulls uh, locker room that you never saw before. So that was exciting. That was interesting. It kept us going. You wanted to see it as soon as it ended. You were waiting for the next episode. And I've heard it from people all over the country uh, and around the world saying this was amazing to watch. And yes, it was. There were so many things about it. Now, did Jordan rub some teammates the wrong way? Did he say some things that he shouldn't have said? Yeah, he did. And uh, obviously, they're going to have to work those things out. Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, not happy the way they were portrayed. And you can understand why. But what you have to look at from a Jordan standpoint is he said it best. My job was to get the guys here to raise their level to here. In other words, go as high as they could in terms of performance, and he was able to do that. 
He challenged Steve Kerr. He challenged John Paxson. And these guys hit game-winning shots because of the pressure Jordan put on them in practice, demanding them to raise their games. That's why the Bulls were so dynamic, because he got the people around him to play better. The situation with Dennis Rodman, when they had the situation when he left town, he came back and Jordan got in his ear and said, look, what you do off the court is one thing. What you do here is you better raise your play. I need you to get 15 to 20 rebounds a game, contribute on the defensive end, do what you can offensively, but you need to show up every night. And Rodman got the message loud and clear. There was one unquestionable leader on that team, Michael Jordan, and that's why his greatness came to the forefront when you watch this amazing series. The documentary was watched by so many people around the world. It was enjoyed, and it should have been because it was a great documentary. Jason Heher, who was the director, did an amazing job. And you, know, the only way I look at it is you got to see behind the veil of Michael Jordan. You got to see a side of Michael Jordan. And yes, there were cursing, and yes, there were some things. And I had been around Michael Jordan. I've seen the pregame. I've seen some of the things he's done and watched his career in amazement. You cannot take anything away from what he did. At the very end, you could say, well, I don't like the method, but there's a method to his madness. And when you look at the outcome, in six world titles and championships in basketball at the college level, all the things he did, he took himself to another level and he took his teammates with him. So you're in a situation where you have to applaud the brilliance of Michael Jordan. And that's what I take away from that. Yes, his method at times, the methods that he used were kind of uh, unquestionable in terms of, um, you know, did he get on the guys too hard? But then you can say at the end of the day, as he said, the end result was what I was looking for. And that's what he got. So Michael Jordan got the results he was looking for. The series was unquestionably a major success and it deserves watching. So if you haven't watched the last dance, please make it a point. Uh, you can watch that. It's something you want to see and uh, learn more about the inner workings of that great Bulls dynasty. Now, conversely, people have asked me this Lance Armstrong situation. Folks, I won't watch it. I don't want to see it. Uh, it's something that I'm trying to forget about. You're talking about a guy that is now trying to get the American public to buy into him again. We bought into him on the Live Strong Foundation, and he helped a lot of folks with cancer. So for that, I applaud him. But that's where it ends for me with Lance Armstrong. This guy took us all on a ride figuratively and literally a ride on that bicycle when we rooted for him, the United States Postal Service team. We wanted him to win, and he won seven Tour de France's, and we cheered him, and we, we gave him all the adulation. We gave him everything in terms of all the support he could ever want in terms of the American public and worldwide public that bought into Lance Armstrong's greatness. And then they start peeling the layers back. And people start commenting about the PEDs and the steroids and all this. And he says, well, you know, it only gave me a little bit of an advantage. It doesn't matter. The fact that you went out and lied to the American public for so long, and then you come about and say, well, you know what? Yeah, I did this and did that. I, I won all these things, but I didn't win it the right way. So then you lose face with the kids, with the adults, with everybody. And now you're trying to come back and have a documentary. How do you go from one of the great documentaries of our time on ESPN to the absolute worst. And Lance Armstrong, there's nothing he could say that I want to hear. Bot bottom line, the guy had the world in his hands. Had he done it the right way, would have gone down as one of the greatest ever. But you wonder now, had he not used drugs, had he not been a PED user, would he have won any of those Tour de France's? We'll never know. But the situation is, he can sit there and say, well, you know, it only helped me a little bit, whatever the case may be. But the fact is you cheated the game, you cheated the sport, 
you cheated the fans. And now you want to offer me a culpa and say, hey, you know what, uh, you know, pay no attention to that. You know, I didn't mean to do it, and now all's forgiven. It doesn't work that way. When you rip off the American people to the point where we cheered for you and gave you everything we had and support, support and now basically you're going to try to say, well, what I did, you know, it happened, and now can you please forgive me? No, I mean, there's certain things you can't forgive because those wins aren't going to be wins in the record book. They're all going to be asterisks. They're all going to be uh, like the Houston Astros. The situation with the Astros, who I call the Houston Astros because they cheated. And some people have said the pandemic has helped the Astros because people forgot about it. People haven't forgot about the Astros. Make no mistakes about that. The Astros are being viewed as cheaters. And when baseball comes back, if it comes back this year, the fans are going to go to the stands with trash cans. They're going to bang trash cans. They're going to call them cheaters. It's going to be uh, a tremendous amount of uh, abuse they're going to take verbally because of the fact that baseball is a pure game. You want it to remain pure. And when you see guys that go afoul of that, like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, guys we cheered for in those summers when they were hitting those gigantic home runs, and then you find out, well, we all used at that time. Rafael Palmero, guy that I respected, I thought was a great baseball player, and he was. But then you find out that he was using uh, legal drugs to help him with his baseball game. That's why when you look at the Cal Ripkins of the world and you respect the guys that don't cheat the game, the Nolan Ryans of the world, the guys that do it above reproach, that's why they deserve the credit. That's why they are Hall of Famers. But when you look at guys like Bonds and Clemens and uh, guys that have done it the wrong way, and you say to yourself, do they deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame? Well, that's up to you guys. Eventually, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to forgive and forget or say to yourself, you know, they cheated the game, therefore they don't deserve to be in. Now, you may say, well, you're a big Pete Rose fan, Sports King. What about that? Yeah, I am, and here's the deal. I know that gambling against the game is the worst thing he could have done. There's no question about it. But it's been, what, nearly 30 years. So Pete Rose, I'm just saying from a baseball standpoint, the all-time hits king deserves his place in baseball's Hall of Fame, and he did it on the field. No PEDs, no situation like that. Pete Rose played the game the way the game should have been played, and therefore I think he deserves his right, rightful place in the Hall of Fame. That's going to wrap up today's show. want to let you know we thank Dr. Paul Ross in Hour 1. We thank Cole Thompson, our NFL insider. And most of all, we thank you. We hope your families are safe. We hope you have a great weekend ahead. And be kind to one another. If you can, please donate blood to the Red Cross. Go to redcross.org. Short supply of blood. If you can help anybody in your neighborhood offering food or supplies of any kind, please do. We're getting through this, folks. One day closer to sports. On Monday, hopefully you have some big news about some sports leagues coming back. So we hope to have you uh, join us then. I'll post some more information about our guest. And we'll see you on Monday's edition of Sports King. Take care.